Yeah, never mind dare to lead. I'm going to dare to riff on my idol, Brene Brown. Welcome to season two of the Essential Stepmom podcast. I'm Tracy, and I'll be your guide for this unconventional look at what I call the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Why do I favor an unconventional approach to being a stepmom? It's probably because I'm something of an outlier in everything I do, but mostly it's because there's a scary statistic looming over every one of our homes, like the mythical sword of Damocles, showing that nearly three quarters of step families don't last more than five years. What that tells me is that the conventional wisdom, the general consensus, the status quo, are all things that are leading stepmoms in obedient herds straight for the gutter. If you want to buck the trend and stay in the game, you need to think differently. In this podcast, we look outside the box for better answers, for counterintuitive strategies to help us fight the instincts that don't serve us well, and to grow a new parenting reflex that really supports us and everyone else on this crazy journey with us. Welcome to the new normal. I've been binge listening to my TED Talk idol, Brene Brown, lately. Actually, I'm listening to the audiobook of Dare to Lead, and I can't recommend it highly enough. She actually reads it herself, and the sound of her delightful voice, combined with her wry sense of humor, bring the whole thing to life in a way that I think the print book might not. But since I'm not actually reading it, maybe my imaginary Brene Brown would be just as entertaining. Anyway, I think that every single word of Dare to Lead applies to my role as a stepmom. You are a leader too, if you didn't already know that. And when you listen to this book, which you can do for free, by the way, with a trial of the audiobook app called Audible, I suggest that you simply replace the word team or business or organization with the word family. And you're going to see what I mean. I could riff on every single paragraph of this book, but the part I'm going to focus on today is about shame and how that plays into your stepfamily dynamic in a way you might not have thought about before, because I'm that alternative kind of person who's going to make you look at things in a new way. It's why I do this. It's my go big or go home. Section four of Dare to Lead is entitled Shame and Empathy. And she says, here's the definition of shame that emerged from my research. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. If we back up for just a minute to talk about connection, she reminds us that connection and belonging are something that we're hardwired for as humans. In my Stepmom Success Lab program, we looked at a diagram of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You can Google that if you like, M-A-S-L-O-W, Maslow, and you'll find it. Um, Abraham Maslow was an early 20th century sociologist who categorized human needs and created a sort of pyramid with the most basic needs at the bottom, 
and more refined needs at the top. Predictably, things like water, food, and air are right at the bottom. But after the basic physiological needs come safety and security needs. After that come belongingness needs. So right after having a roof over our head and protection from wild animals or marauders, we need to belong. The way we know we belong is by connection. I'm going to go out on a limb here because I don't know that Abraham Maslow said anything in particular about children, but I'm going to say that where children are concerned, connection and belonging are integral to their safety and security needs because all of their security rests in their parents. Children are not responsible for securing their own safety. I hope that makes sense. They rely 100% on their parents for that. And if they don't get the message from their parents that they're safe, they'll keep looking for security in a million little ways forever. How do I know this? I see it in my work as a homeopath every day. When I look for a remedy to help someone heal from a chronic illness, it's absolutely relevant to me to try to understand where they are stuck in life, where they didn't get something they needed, like security, or where they couldn't fully recognize or integrate security when it was offered. It's not even always someone's fault. We're all running on the fumes of previous traumas and disappointments, large and small. Those things create the lens through which we see the world. All of it. There's no viewpoint that isn't colored by our previous experience and conditioning. That's just life. So back to connection and shame. Brene Brown says, connection, along with love and belonging, is why we're here. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. Shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal that we failed to live up to, or a goal that we've not accomplished, makes us unworthy of connection. So where does a child get the idea that they're fundamentally flawed? Why on earth would a five-year-old or a 10-year-old embrace the burden of some kind of ideal that they could never live up to and respond with hopelessness or rage? There's something you need to know about biology here. Human beings, and that includes you and me, are made of exactly half mother and half father and not one mother-loving thing more. That's right. There's nothing about you that doesn't derive from your mother's genes or your father's. And that means that when your mother stops loving your father, are you still with me here? She stops loving the half of you that is your father. Or at least that's what you could think. And when we talk about loyalty, it's not just about protecting a parent because we love them. It's about defending our own right to even exist. It's about our own safety and security. If there was ever a flaw that you could never erase, how about looking or sounding just like a parent who has become persona non grata in whichever household you find yourself? There is no safe place. So having your dad's sense of humor is a potentially fatal flaw. And so is singing to yourself like your mom does. 
I have to tell you a little story. It's a cute one from when my own daughter was little. My daughter has jet black hair and lovely long eyelashes that lots of women would pay money for if it wouldn't look fake on them. These attributes are gifts from her dad. And we used to say things like, you got those lovely eyelashes from your dad. Of course, the meaning of that is completely obvious to us as adults and hilariously obscure to a child. Like, what do they know about genetics? So when my adorable three-year-old got a big fat eyelash stuck under her eyelid, she cried as I tried to gently massage it out through the tears. And she sobbed, my daddy gave me that eyelash. I was never sure if she was crying because she had lost one of her precious eyelashes or because her dad had played such a bad trick on her. One way or another, what is a child to think whose face, whose identity is so tied to her father when he's no longer a person who is loved by her mother? Can her mother still love that face which came from her dad? Will she keep finding more and more things that came from her dad? And what can she do with them? Is it okay to be proud of them? Should she hide them? I'm not even talking about the right to keep loving her dad. I personally worked pretty hard at making sure that when I got divorced, my daughter knew that she had permission to love her dad. But I can't even guess at some of the things she must have grappled with in terms of her own identity. To this day, I feel her bristle if I suggest the slightest criticism of her dad, and I don't think that she's protecting him. I think she's protecting herself. So this is the place where shame intersects with stepfamily dynamics. Kids are set up to feel ashamed of being like their mom, and they're ashamed of being like their dad. And we reinforce that shame unwittingly every time we say something like, you sound just like your mother, or where did you get that idea? Yes, of course, lots of biological parents actually do plant false or destructive ideas and behavior patterns in their kids on purpose to bug their ex-spouse. And it's gut-wrenching to see it when you know exactly where it came from. But just as often, characteristic opinions and mannerisms are absorbed naturally by kids from their other parent, just as they would do even if there were no divorce involved. That's how nature works. There's no getting around it. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I'm going to say that again. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. This is true even when the child doesn't have any contact with the other biological parent. I know this from my study of the field called family constellation therapy. You can Google that too if you like, but it's absolutely fascinating to see how the energy field that flows through a family dictates unconscious loyalties toward family members we have never met and sometimes we never knew even existed. I'm seeing this same principle in a novel I'm reading right now called Reproduction by Ian Williams. It won the Giller Prize. If you're a Canadian reader, you'll know that's the biggest deal there is in Can Lit Awards. Anyway, it's a multi-generational story featuring a young boy abandoned before his birth by his father and who is obsessed with being good enough to be loved by a man who only loves money. 
He doesn't have to do anything to be loved by his mother. He's completely secure in his mother's love. Every ounce of his energy goes into being good enough for his father to notice and then to love him. And as he goes about that, he becomes so frighteningly like his father, you have to wonder how he could possibly have guessed so accurately what the guy was even like. Children are hardwired to believe that their parents are right and also perfect. That's where their security comes from. If they can accept that their parents are flawed, then they have to know that they aren't really safe because possibly mom or dad isn't actually acting in their best interests. They even believe their parents are right when those very parents are abusing them emotionally or otherwise. It goes like this. My mom says I'm stupid. Either it's true and I'm stupid or my mother is lying to me. If my mother would lie to me about something so important, she must not love me very much. I can't live if my mother doesn't love me. So let me believe what my mother says. And here's where I'll take one for the team. I'm stupid. I can live with that. I'll even prove it over and over again, because I must not expose myself to the possibility that my mother doesn't love me. That's way too harsh. Let me be stupid. I can do that. And here again, we intersect with shame. I know that I'm sort of lying now too when I act stupid or bad or lazy or any of the things that I get called. I'm out of integrity with my truth, as Brene Brown would put it. But I'll fight tooth and nail to prove that my mom is right about me. I need to do this because it's how I keep my mother perfect. And if she says my dad is stupid, it must be so. If my mother loved me, she would never lie to me about something so important. And since she has to love me for me to go on living, I'll take one for the team and believe that my dad is stupid. I'm caught in a leg hold trap, and I'm going to go ahead and chew my own leg off to survive, unless somebody has a better idea. Sorry if that was a little graphic, but... This is where I go big or go home. I want you to leave here with a new perspective that will serve you as a leader in your family and even in society. The context of Brene Brown's work is organizations and teams. And every word of what she says applies to the organization of your family, your team. We can be leaders as step parents because nobody else is facing the challenges we face with the perspective we have from outside the biological family. The missing piece for us in all this is, of course, awareness of our own issues with shame. Let me repeat what she says one more time. Shame is the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal that we've failed to live up to, or a goal that we've not accomplished, makes us unworthy of connection. So what ideal might that be, stepmama? Want to take a flying guess? I'll say what I think it is. You don't think you're a good enough mother. And what a catch-22, because there is no way on earth to be a good enough mother for your stepchild. You will never get it right. The moment you give it your all, they decide they don't want another mother. When you step aside or step back, 
your partner or someone external to your family lets you know that you're not doing enough. The line you're walking is so thin, it's actually digging into your feet. And on either side of that line is shame. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you in this pit of despair. Of course, there's an antidote to shame. According to Brene Brown, the antidote to shame is empathy. Empathy, as she defines it, is taking the perspective of another and recognizing their perspective as their truth. It's holding space for someone to have painful feelings without trying to fix their problem. It's saying, you're not alone. I'll stay here with you while you're hurting. Brene Brown says, empathy is not connecting to an experience. It's connecting to the emotions that underpin an experience. The trick is to be open to the idea that certain behaviors like grandstanding, arguing, ignoring, and raging can be riding on top of emotions that you know, like shame or fear. In my work as a homeopath, I have to constantly ask, what happened? What happened? I'm asking myself, why is this child acting out now? What don't I know? And I can tell you that in every case, there's an answer that sheds light on the problem. Sometimes there's a real objective insult or injury or trauma. And sometimes the trauma belongs to the person's perspective, but that doesn't change the feeling. For example, a baby who's left with a babysitter because the parents have to go to work to earn their livelihood doesn't understand the context. They only know that they've been left. I feel sad. I feel afraid. If I am blessed with a resilient nature, this is something I'll recover easily from. If I suffer with an innate sensitivity to separation, it can feel like a tragedy. There's always something behind difficult behaviors. There's always a context. And when we're talking about stepkids, children who are in a state of shame pretty much at all times because they have to deny half of themselves, we can meet them there. We know about shame, about not feeling good enough to belong or to be loved. And when it comes to empathy as a healing force, I hope we can offer empathy to each other as stepmoms. I hope we can make our online interactions a source of much needed empathy for each other. We don't have to relate to the specific situation that others are reporting. We can look beyond the details and connect with the feeling. So it doesn't matter if your partner does this or that when their kids don't do X, Y, or Z. It doesn't matter exactly how you've been wronged or insulted by a bio mom. You know frustration. You know what it's like to feel all alone. You know heartbreak or else you've been living under a rock. The antidote to stepmom shame is for us to offer empathy to each other. And the best part of empathy is that we can never run out of it. It's limitless. And the more it flows, the more it will return and multiply. I'm going to stop now before I get all gooey on you. Check out the Facebook group if you're not there yet. And if you're already a member, I challenge you to jump in and tell someone that you hear them, that it must be hard. 
that you're sending hugs. Just a reminder that Brene Brown's website is brenebrown.com. You can find all of her books there. And if you look for the, her book, Dare to Lead, on amazon.com, you can get the audiobook free with a one-month trial of Audible. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate or review us on iTunes. That's the very best way you can help other high-performing, alternative-thinking stepmoms to stumble onto this show and discover a community of like-minded listeners around the world. According to Anchor.fm, the platform I'm recording on, we're being heard now in 29 countries. I find that really exciting. If you're a social media kind of person, you're welcome to join my Facebook community by sending a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. If you'd rather just get a more intimate weekly email from me, send me a message with the subject line weekly email to info at essentialstepmom.com. Finally, I'd love to hear from you with questions or comments or situations you'd like me to address on this podcast. You can leave a voice message right here or send anything to my personal and confidential email address, info at essentialstepmom.com. That's info at essentialstepmom.com. See you next week.